What do you have in your mouth? A sucker! And I have a sucker. I'm saving that. Mine uh, is cherry. Ooh, That's cherry. Not. You got a sucker? Yeah. It looks like it's blueberry. What do you have? A sucker. A sucker? Maybe cherry? And so today we have a special episode. It's featuring Becca Bryn Manlove. And Naomi, you got her book at our library. Yes. Hauling Water, Reflections on Making a Home in the North Woods. Called to me off the shelf. Yes. It's bad. From the shelf. I took it off the shelf. It yes. Me from the shelf. She's an author from Ely, Minnesota, so a couple hours north of where we're from. And as many authors have been so kind and gracious to respond back to emails, um, just told her I was enjoying her book and in you like the soccer? Yeah, it's exciting to have so many suckers. So now we're going to enjoy the suckers. And I'm going to read a little selection from her book. She was very kind to say yes. Mine blueberry. I'm glad. She was very kind to say, yes, you may read a chapter out of the book. And I told her my favorite chapter out of this book is called Ravens. And she said, I'm so glad you're enjoying my book, especially the chapter about ravens. You're welcome to share part or all of it on your charming podcast. Joe, the boy in the story, is 33 now, and he teaches math in California. He and his wife love to rock climb, and they rescue people who are lost or hurt, too. My daughter, in the book... She got me to climb a tree in winter, and her husband have one have a one-year-old girl, Alish, and she, I get to babysit her while working. I listen to several haiku poet sessions, and I really like your poetry, Joshua, and I love hearing your children. Someone said something about crackling rocks when you step on them. What a wonderful line of poetry. I was the oldest of five kids. The youngest was born when I was seven. Hey, that sounds kind of like our family, doesn't it? Seven-year-old Jacob down to two-year-old Eve. Yep. She was born when I was seven. And it says, your family sounds like mine, except for we were four girls and one boy instead of three boys and two girls. That sounds kind of like moms in my family. There was one boy and five girls. But you were the oldest. I was the oldest, yep. Yes. So it says, we moved from, we moved to Cloquet on my 14th birthday, so not far from where you are now. I moved to Ely when I was a young adult, and one of my sisters drew the pictures for the book. Want to see the picture on the front? Isn't that pretty? Hauling yeah. water? Hauling yeah. water. And then within the book, there's different pictures. So, like, here's a picture of a lake. Yeah, that's a lake. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, let's see if we can find one more. Oh, look at this. Here's a picture of a bear. It's a bear. That's so cute. And a little boy, a little bear. And they're both just standing there looking at each other. Really cool. And uh, well, somebody and then and uh, well, the bear come and chop it. I don't think 
So, Becca says, I started writing when I was in second grade. Who's closest to second grade in our family? Um, Jacob's in first grade. And it says, one day I came home sad because our teacher told us to write our story, an autobiography. My mom was a teacher and a school librarian. She said, your birthday is at Halloween. What if you wrote your story as if you were a witch? And your brother was a, is it a goblin? Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. I've not heard a hobgoblin. Have you heard a hobgoblin? I have. You have. And your sisters were black cats. Writing that autobiography was so much fun. I kept writing uh, short stories, poems, essays, a kid's story, and a novel. And now I'm writing a blog about being grateful. (laughs) And I did. I looked at the book, and then I just searched her name, and I came up with lovewithroots.com, all one word. So if anybody wants to check out her blog, it's lovewithroots.com. I have more books that I want to get published, including a novel. Your dad guessed right. I write some poems and I love the haiku form, though I don't use it very often. I'm attaching four poems about a season. Each poem is about a particular season, and the four poems are about the four winds. Your kids sound very smart, and as if you notice things when you're outside. See if you can tell which season each poem is representing. Happy Pussy Willow time, Becca, Bryn, Manlove. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the first one. It's North Wind. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Let's see. We won't shout it out. We'll wait until the end of the poem, and then we'll see if we can guess what season it is. North Wind, capped heads, faces red, wind-whipped bodies, bend low, bow cold, and snow rain now. Winter. What season? Winter. See if you can catch this next one. East wind. Warmer by the lake. For once, rain baptizes snow. Then ground. Sap rises. Winter. Spring. Spring. The Spring. sap rises. That's Spring. kind of like when we went maple syruping, hey, right? over there. Really? Mm-hmm. Spring's over there? Mm-hmm. And winter's over there? There are more snow piles over there, aren't there? You're right. Yeah, the snow already melted on that side. Very good. Okay. Next one is called South Wind. Breeze that would court me lifts a lock of hair, whispers secrets in my ear. South Wind. So coming from that direction, from the south where it's warm. Breeze that would court me Lifts a lock of hair, whispers secrets in my ear. Summer. Probably summer. And how about west wind? Front, side, back again. No matter the way we turn, leaves and hair blow east. Fall. Fall. Autumn. Changing leaves, right? There's a seasonal reference in there, right? Mm -hmm. With the leaves and the hair whipping. All right, so thank you, Becca, for giving us the the chance to read your chapter from Hauling Water entitled Ravens.
ravens. Ravens sit in their all black, their impressive size, enough to grab my attention. I am reminded of those characters from old mystery movies, the silent, scowling gardener lurking about in the shadows, the obvious suspect, and so not the real murderer. That is the raven, even without the never more fame. Wolves pull a deer down and eat their fill. Eagles, fox, and ravens hover at the fringes, waiting for the wolves to fall back a little. But when a person waddles into view on her snowshoes, the wolves, the eagles, and the fox melt into the forest. All that is left are the ravens feeding on the corpse, the obvious suspects. The difference is they are not silent. In fact, it was probably their circling and squawking that first alerted the snowshoer to the wolf kill. They announced their location of a meal with such gusto and persistence. They seemed to invite the entire forest. Researchers sometimes refer to ravens as the Einsteins of the bird world. Was Einstein smart? He was really smart. Albert Einstein came up with a theory of relativity. We are really smart. You're really smart? Good. Einstein was really smart too. He actually had a lot of hard times in his early years of school. His teachers said he wasn't very smart. But actually, his brain was just thinking in a totally different way. He saw the world differently. Let's carry on. Researchers sometimes refer to ravens as the Einsteins of the bird world. They have as many as 120 vocalizations. And so speak the most complex verbal language of the non-human world. So ravens have the most complex language complex language of the non-human world. I don't speak raven language. I haven't listened long and hard enough. When I first moved out to the woods, I took notice of the ravens. Somehow I knew their name. And of course, I knew parts of Poe's famous poem, I had retained only a vague sense of foreboding from the poem and felt some mild excitement at seeing them. It was much like finding out that Captain Hook really did exist and lived in a surprisingly neat little house in town. I might pass him in the aisle in the grocery store and surreptitiously note that he had zucchini and honey nut Cheerios in his cart. But I would not stop to chat about the weather unless he spoke first. The ravens did speak first, and often. They squawked indignantly as they started up from road-killed carcass. They preyed on garbage bags left at the end of our road for pickup. I cursed them as I gathered up the scraps that they had scattered and tossed the distasteful stuff back into the torn plastic bags. Their enormous wingspan became something to avoid as they rose up from trash bins in alleyways. 
their hoarse protests grating on my ears. I came to equate them with discarded french fry boxes and roadkill. In my case, familiarity did breed contempt for the ravens. They became trash birds to me. I felt tired and dragged down by their noise, like squawky TV commercials. I couldn't turn it off. On cold, bleary February mornings, when I was up too early driving, a town gone flat with white and gray, their dark bodies hung like too many periods on the winter sentence. I like that. You can imagine a branch with four or five ravens. It took a child to show me the positive in ravens. Joe didn't know anything about that old grump Poe. And being only five, who's five? Elliot's five, aren't you? Being five, he didn't hold it against them that they ate garbage. He loved them. Elliot, do you have a bird that you love? The pileated woodpecker. We just bought some more suet for them yesterday. So this weekend, we'll get to load up the suet feeder, and we can watch the pileated come in. There's a raven. He marveled at their wingspan and laughed at their noises. What do you think they're saying when they do that? He asked. He snaked through the underbrush to spy on the gatherings and stud. We missed the pileated. We missed the pileated? Uh huh. Yeah. He snaked through the underbrush to spy on their gatherings and studied the bones they left from their meals. I loved Joe, and I learned to love ravens because he loved them. And slowly I have come to love ravens just because they are ravens. A naturalist friend taught me that crows cry, caw, caw, and ravens cry, awk, awk, awk. Eve, that's really good. Elliot, let's hear the pileated's cry. Nice. So her friend taught her that crows say caw, ravens say awk, and since then I've noticed that ravens say much more than that. Their repertoire includes some amazing sounds. One noise could only be replicated by running a stick across the boards of a picket fence. Another noise would be science fiction if ravens weren't making it. Sitting inside, I can barely recall it. I have heard it as I waded through snow beneath large pines. It's something like a deep bong suddenly swallowed. Do you remember that from Alaska, Naomi? That... It just kind of... And then it's just gone. Yeah. Maybe a wooden mallet struck on the inside of a solid metal culvert and immediately deadened with a shovel full of snow would come close to it. I'm not sure. One day, walking through the parking lot of the International Wolf Center, I found a young man frozen in place. 
His friend came out the door of the center, but stopped in mid-stride. What's that? They asked each other. I had to laugh. It was a raven making the click. Doink sound over and over. These birds, these bird Einsteins are notorious for their intelligence and their playful natures. I pictured that raven huddling behind a blind of bristling red pine branches, making his strangest call each time a person came into sight. I imagined his feathered sides shaking with laughter at the reactions of his human subjects. Ravens communicate with body language as well. In wintertime, Ely, the film crew for the movie Ravens, shot close-ups of ravens guarding food caches, usually garbage bins. The birds bristle their throat feathers into fierce beards. They also erected feathers on the sides of their head that resembled the ears of owls. A friend of mine, Irene, discovered that ravens could use body language to trick someone as well. One winter, she noticed a raven with a broken wing. He waddled and hopped around with the other ravens, dragging the damaged wing. Admiring his tenacity and fearing that he would starve, she began going out and feeding Buddy table scraps whenever he came. One day, she watched Buddy hobble across the street toward her, so she went out with her usual offerings. But as soon as the raven had the food scraps, he flew off. Irene now has many buddies who visit her. Raven is the central figure in many of the First Nations stories. He is often a figure of creation, and his ability to communicate is frequently part of the story. In one story, he sees a large clamshell with tiny beings inside the first humans. He swoops down to investigate and frightens the beings. With gentle tones and words, he soothes them and finally coaxes them out of their shell and into the world. An Anishinaabe story tells of a man who was fascinated with ravens. He climbs high into a tree day after day, trying to gain an understanding of their language. The ravens take notice and, trusting his intentions, offer to teach him their words and their ways. Over several months, he learns their language, and in the process, the ravens teach him much more. He learns that having a sense of humor improves life, that arguments do not need to be the end of a relationship, and that he doesn't have to be a raven to be loved by them. Recently, I was surprised to hear a squabbling pair approach me as I stood on the shore of Chapel Lake. There were whiny mutterings with sudden loud outbursts. The same cadence my arguments with love, but wrong ones, take. The two ravens flew past me at eye level, continuing their discussion until they turned sharply into the woods and disappeared. Were they arguing? I am old enough to have made many mistakes, placing interpretations on other actions. And I did wonder if ravens argue. How do they resolve their differences? Is it the simple pecking order that we like to impose on chickens? 
Or do ravens, these creatures of intelligence, community, and generosity, know a more subtle way to peace? Sometimes I stand still, listening to the whistle of the wind through their wings as they fly over my head, and I am quiet when they speak. Maybe someday I will understand a few of their words. Wow, that'd be that'd be pretty neat, yeah. wouldn't it? To understand some of the birds' words. Yeah. Have you ever heard the the wind in birds' feathers as they fly overhead? Yeah, yeah, I hear that. You've heard that? Yeah. Buffy. Um, well, well, in the middle of the night, um, when I think that it's um, morning, and Buffy. Um, I, I see. Oh, I guess it's um, and I hear the owls. Their song. What do they sound like? <laughs> That's beautiful. When I wake up, I hear owls whistling. Really? Mm -hmm. What did you see this morning when you woke up at 5 o'clock? Mm. The pileated. I think the I didn't see the pileated, but we saw something rising out there. The sun. The moon. The moon. Yeah, it was beautiful. And the robins yeah. were really singing. Sometimes I hear owls. Once I heard an owl with that, and it, owl, it, um, it was like flew right by me. Cool. Me too. Neat. And it flew oh, like this close, and it zoomed. We heard something really cool the other day. What was it? Fly over our neighborhood. I was so um, <laughs> It wasn't Meal. a balloon. I haven't heard those yet. These are really big, and they're white. Trumpeter swans. Yes. Ooh. A flock. It was white. very beautiful. Ten. Ten, ten trumpeter I, swans. Saw two trumpeter swans went over a house. Twenty steps up, up, up. So they were very low. Very low. And what does their trumpet sound like? It was like this. <laughs> that sounds like a trumpet. Those are some talented trumpeter swans. Yes. Could you hear their the wind in their wings? Oh. Yeah. Very, very I think Eve wants to close this one out because she's ready for her pajamas. Oh. Eve, do you want to say thanks for listening to another episode? Um, oh. Puppy. Can you say, I'd like a puppy someday? Yeah. I got. What does a puppy say? Um. <laughs> Puppies kind of blow. Can you yeah. blow a kiss to everybody? Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye.